Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. (laughs) Our sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our U.S. listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible, the destination for audiobooks and podcasts, when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated and catch up on all of your reading today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening! This is the Fantastic Books Podcast. The fantasy and sci-fi book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most loved fantasy series as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Anna and Sam. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And we're continuing our coverage of .exe with author Robin Jeffries. Robin, welcome back. Hello, everybody. So this week we are covering chapters 10 through 14. And oh my goodness, so much happened. Huge reveals this whole section of chapters. Plus we left off on such a huge cliffhanger last week with the murder happening and everything. So I think we're like fully into the meat of the mystery at this point. Yeah, I think as far as coverage, we're just going to go chapter by chapter and let all the uh, revelations happen sequentially. Great. Okay. All right. So obviously with chapter 10, starting off with the guests being shocked after the inspector's announcement at the end of the previous chapter that Nathan Hale, Chance's father, is who's Nathan Hale (laughs) (laughs) that's a historical figure oh my god you're right (laughs) Felix Hale Felix (laughs) so much for our good notes (laughs) yeah that's so funny all right Felix Hale was murdered yes everyone's shocked they're all still at the I think the study and they were told not to leave the house One thing I was like really interested in this scene too is that everyone has different reactions to what's going on. Chance is obviously still like thinking about himself, but there is a moment where Dr. Merton is caring for Desdemona and Chance says that he's surprised at the tenderness displayed by the standoffish doctor. I had to concede that Desdemona could capture more hearts than just my father's. So there's definitely way more to her than Chance is leading us to believe because he just dislikes her, but there's, she's either like very charismatic or very kind or something is going on with her. And it's frustrating because she's probably a prime suspect and chance just is not giving her any like screen time (laughs) for us to get to know her better. (laughs) He kind of writes her off and it's to the detriment of the mystery. Right. Like I want him to talk to her a bit more or like give her a chance to say what she needs Mm -hmm. to say. But for now, I'm still not sure what's going on there. And then Chance, again, just being so self-absorbed, decides he has to pursue Cadence again and follows her outside. 
And he's interrupted by Victoria, who just becomes more and more conniving in these chapters, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, her true colors really become revealed within this chapter and the next with her just being awful. It also gives so much more motivation to her character because it seems like she's just really angling for either money or like to inherit Chance's family estate by becoming his wife. And like, I don't know, she's very selfish. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's like part of her motivation, but I don't know if it's enough to have killed somebody over. So I don't know about her yet. Mm. (laughs) I know you can't say Yes, it's very intriguing, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yes, 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 it is. (laughs) Good job. Good job. (laughs) Um, So in their conversation, she says that they should not tell the inspector Uh, anything about them sleeping together because she doesn't want that to ruin her reputation but it's each other's alibis which sucks because now I think there's like a weird situation of like do you say this and reveal what happened so that you're not being charged in the murder case or do you try to protect Victoria and like right now Chance agrees not to say anything but I think that's going to come back to bite them. Oh for sure and I also found it interesting that Victoria of all people would find it detrimental to her reputation for it being known that she slept with Chance. I'm like, she could be just as bad as he is. Yeah, if she wanted to. But also, like, they're gonna get married, according to everybody anyway, so I don't really see why it's that big of a deal. Mm. I don't know. Maybe the invisible propriety of the situation. I think that's part of the, like, high society Mm. rules that we're just commoners. We don't understand them, Sam. (laughs) We're We're not part of their world, you know? Yeah, I couldn't possibly know. <laughs> so complex. <laughs> oh, but we finally get the confirmation that Cadence is an Enema Necron. Ah, I yes. felt so justified. You were right the whole time. <laughs> that was the huge reveal in this chapter. Because Chance ends up walking away from Victoria. He goes to meet Cadence. And she's talking to herself in a different language and panicking about her identification papers. In this whole conversation, it comes out that she has forged papers. Um, She spent like all her money on these forgeries to escape Wiston so that she wouldn't be destroyed or killed. Chance is a little slow to pick up what she's putting down, but he gets there. (laughs) Chance is a little slow. Like he's just... Period, yeah. Not not the sharpest (laughs) knife in the box, you know. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Definitely slow to the uptake, but when this uh, light bulb moment does click, I love what you write as far as his like revelation the rapid flow of new data pouring through my synapses clicked and merged with what was already there dropping the truth of my guess origins fully formed into my mind like an atom bomb i looked at the hand i held and threw it away like it was a snake wiping my palm down on my front as i turned shaking my head immediately just disgusted his family's prejudices coming forward and Chance revealing that he sucks. Yeah. Shock and dismay, he's kind of a crappy person. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't <laughs> say. <laughs> he also starts referring to Cadence as it in the narration, which I thought was a really clever, like, grammatical thing on your Thank part. And you. also just, like, shows how disgusting mm-hmm. he is. <laughs> uh, and it sucks, too, because he had this moment, like, two paragraphs before where he says that he would move heaven and earth to help Cadence. So like he had this moment where he was trying to be helpful because he was trying to help her out with her identification papers. And then as soon as he finds out what she is, he's like, never mind. 
I don't even want to think of you as a person yeah, anymore. Like, no, you're just immediately gross and othered to me. Please get away. Yeah. And it's just so dehumanizing. Oh, he also does, like, in addition to calling her it, he has these moments in his head where he's, I don't even know, like, judging her, but in a weird way. Like, there was a part where he he's noticing her behaviors, like, that she doesn't breathe. Mm-hmm. At one point, he wrote, Cadence's jaw snapped shut, gripping the gazebo as if something like her would need steadying. And it's, like, just, he's just, like, picking up on all these, like, horrible little, like, things. And he's like, oh you're not human. Like, why would you even have emotions? Right. Yeah. Like he's just making, he's automatically making assumptions about what she does and doesn't require as far as human needs because she's not technically human. Yeah. He's making all those very quick judgments and calculations in his head, but are totally unfounded. Like he, he literally just found out that she's not human and he thinks he knows everything because he's chan. Yeah. (laughs) I'm assuming this is like the first anima necron he's met. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're all yes. elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he's just going on pure yeah. prejudice. Yeah, absolutely. Here. <laughs> so disappointing. <Yeah. laughs> Such a disappointing thing for oh, somebody definitely. to do. And even like with how volatile his reactions are, your writing is impeccable with this line of swallowing down my toxic cocktail of emotions. I shook my head, massaging my throat and neck. He is so disgusted and frustrated about this and i just think your writing is so visceral and encapsulates that emotion very well thank you yeah i mean it's not like pleasant to put yourself in that situation of trying to be because it's first person so it's hard to it's not nice to be in the situation of what would someone who's super prejudiced think about meeting someone who's different from them but it was an interesting thought exercise so i'm glad it came across well yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. No, it definitely did. And then this was such a mini mystery for the first half of the book. So I'm sure that like writing this scene was pretty important. Mm-hmm. And then um, I guess just like, how was it balancing like the value of revealing the information with putting in the information without it just being entirely chances, thoughts and emotions too? Yeah, like like trying to balance like an exposition dump versus like trying to actually get some character yeah. out of it. Um, yeah, it was hard. I, I did a couple different versions of this particular scene before I landed on what ended up in the book because it was hard to get across all the information that Cadence was trying to convey that the reader needed to know while still mm-hmm. having chance have room to be horrible <laughs> sounds weird <laughs> but you know he in it's his perspective it's kind of his book in a weird way and he needs his chance to have his reaction but it was a hard balance to strike between getting information to the reader about who and the nature of cadence and what she's possibly been through to get to this point while still holding space for a chance to have his very emotional and not at all logical reaction to just what she is I wanted really hard to try to capture that feeling of otheredness, you know, and like what that looks Mm. like reflected, you know, where it's like, I think we've all, not all of us, but a lot of us in some ways have been on the other side where we reveal something about ourselves and you, you watch someone's face change and you're like, cool. Okay. So now you see me in a totally different way because of one thing about myself. And that's like the one thing that they're going to see. And now I have defined myself by X trait. And that's it. It was important for me to, to convey that that's what was going on. But from inside that other person, that chance was having that moment of, wow, this is all you are now. 
all you are is an animanecron <laughs> and everything else has just flown out the window. All those other experiences that we've shared, all the emotions that I was feeling, it's gone. It's just this now. Wow. That's really brilliant on your end. Because again, I think all of us have had similar experiences of like being in the driver's seat of like reactions from others and getting inside the headspace of someone who their perspective completely changes on someone. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks when you're in those situations too, but like, you know, because we're reading this, we're watching it happen. It's something that we've seen happen to other people too. And you just like, it just sucks to be a bystander of that as well. Yeah. Like, obviously, it's horrible to be on the receiving end of it, but like, it's just icky to watch it happen. And I just felt so disgusted and disappointed by Chance. Like, I knew he wasn't a great character, but I feel like there's a difference between being prejudiced or racist and just being like kind of a deadbeat. Like, those are two totally yeah. different things. Well, yeah. And like, it's kind of for me, I needed it to be a moment where. I wanted the reader up until this point to have really mixed feelings about Chance of like, is he a good person? Is he a bad person? Well, he's kind of a little bit of both. But I wanted this to be the turning point for readers as much as it is for Chance and for Cadence, but where they want to like reach through the book and just shake him and just be like, you need to do better. You need to be better. This is your moment. You need to grow or else this is it. Like. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm closing the cover and I'm walking away yeah, from you. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, this is this is the last straw. You need to change. Yes, yes. He he definitely turns it around by the end of this section of chapters, too. So yeah. I was glad. But I think it also, character development-wise, was perfect timing because he has this lowest of his low point. And then in, I think it's the next chapter, the inspector says he's suspect number one and that... Mm -hmm he's going to get him. And so you're kind of like, well, I don't think you committed the murder, but like, you're really kind of horrible. And yeah, it's like, I don't feel as bad for yeah. you. This is like what rock bottom looks <laughs> exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you, as a reader, yeah. you're almost like, well, maybe this is what you get for being a terrible person. You get to be all alone. Right? And <laughs> these are the consequences of your actions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Bad things can happen to bad people. And, objectively as a reader like it's yeah. fine <laughs> like, okay. that's this is what happens you got what was coming yeah. to you <laughs> in the rest of this chapter though because i know we jumped a little bit mm -hmm. around they do talk about whether or not cadence killed felix not nathan <laughs> 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 which is a horrible thing because chance basically finds out what she is is disgusting and then is like well you must have killed my father then because he found out what you are lumping other and criminal is a horrible thing but people do do that yeah definitely scapegoat tactics yeah and then that devolves into an argument about whether or not cadence is a person again with like all the ai stuff <clears throat> that's going on lately and like the future of technology i just thought that was such an interesting section especially because you had a line where cadence like claps back at chance and she says when you things like humans are opened up you look like machines too just different kinds of machines yeah and it's like just such like a blurred line of like well what is a life force then mm -hmm. um because she clearly has emotions and family and everything and it's getting very philosophical in the yeah, background yeah <laughs> it reminds me of I forget what the movie's called. It's with Will Smith, and it's like AI robots. It might just be called AI. Oh, iRobot. Oh, iRobot. Thank I robot. you. Thank you. 
And he's like interrogating this robot and he's like, you're a machine. You can't create works of art or do this or do that. And the robot responds to him like, well, can you? I feel like a very mirroring situation here. Yeah. It's very intriguing. Yes. That it's this sort of like sub, not really a subplot because there's, I don't think there's going to be like a resolution, Mm -hmm. but just like thoughts that you're making people have in addition to questions about like the characters and the plot. Yeah, it's just something that I wanted kind of people to be thinking about as they're reading is and make up their own mind is what constitutes personhood and what doesn't. I mean, there was a really interesting paper that I read in college when I was going through my science fiction class that argued that thermostats were people. That was like the whole premise of the paper was thermostats (laughs) are people. And I was like, okay, weird. Don't think you're right. But then as you go through the paper, you're like, Okay, I kind of see where you're going with this. They have reactions to stimuli and they make up their own decisions about things. And it's like, it, you're not right, but you're not wrong either. Like, like That's fascinating on like a rudimentary yeah, level. Like when you yeah. really get down to like the granular, what makes a person a person, it really becomes this kind of indefinable, non-scientific question of a soul. You know, like what constitutes that? Where, where do you find it in the body? Because the brain, you know, especially at this point in science, we know the brain's really just a giant computer. It's very intricate that we can't parse apart with our mediocre tools. So really, what makes the difference? It's kind of weird to think about. Yeah. It's interesting. And I like the difference. The idea between, like, engineered responses to stimuli is essentially, like, that's what the thermostat is doing. But, you know, because I have an anthropology background, that's essentially what culture is is just like the laws that humans follow to react and exist so yeah i can that's very fascinating it's it's a really cool question that i just like kind of weaving throughout the book i'm really liking it because it's also important to the plot and Mm -hmm. like the characters so it's not like you've just added in this like philosophical stuff that you wanted to just put in for the sake of adding like it's really impacting the way the characters are existing and interacting with one another too I think that's like obviously the bombshell of chapter 10 was all this discovery. But thankfully, Chance is sort of good and agrees not to tattle on Cadence to the inspector about her papers and what she is. So he's at least withholding action against her. But he does tell her to go away and stay away. And it's just really sad because she apologizes to him and she shouldn't have to apologize. Yeah. And that was that was the end of that chapter where I was just so upset with chance because i know he can be better than that so chapter 11 starts out with henry coming out to keep chance company i will give chance this one little tidbit where he decides not to tell henry about cadence there's a good line that kind of runs with this where he says i decided not to tell henry what i'd learned about cadence seeing how fond of the girl he was and wanting as always to spare him pain Revealing Cadence's true nature would be kind to neither of them. I never was an altruistic man, but nevertheless, I had no desire to become a cruel one. So there's like a nice little internal monologue with that, with him deciding what type of person he still wants to be. Even though he's like at his heart kind of terrible, he's like, I don't want to be that kind of terrible. Yeah, there's a limit to how (laughs) crappy he can be. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's after the shock has worn off a little bit. Now that he's deciding he doesn't want to become a cruel person, he's reassessing himself a little Mm bit. We do see him change his ways for the better in the next few chapters. Yeah, there's definitely Uh, some growth. 
I don't know if anyone else suspects Cadence of being an animanecron and just isn't saying anything. Mm-hmm. But Henry, I think, would be smart enough maybe to pick up on that, potentially. But one thing I thought was funny was that Chance feels protective over, like, innocent Henry. Uh-huh. And I think that if Henry ends up being involved in either of the crimes, it's going to be really shocking to Chance <laughs> because he just sees him as, like, oh, my, like, sweet, good friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if Henry's done anything now, though. I think I've changed my mind on... He's too perfect. I don't know. (laughs) I like Henry, and that's why I'm suspicious of him. I just can't figure out where he fits into the crimes as we've, like, learned about them so far. Because out of the whole group of casting characters that we have, everyone's flawed, and so is Henry, but he's the only one at this moment that seems, like, lawful Mm -hmm. good, and it seems too good to be true. I hope he's just good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. I mean, you know, it might be like the perfect red herring. Uh, Yeah, there's lots of red herrings in here. Or red Red (laughs) herrings. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Um, So Cadence ends up avoiding chance for the rest of the day, but he like can't stop looking at her from afar and like peeking at her. And I think he's fascinated, but also still has his like man goggles on and he's like, Oh, she's still really hot. And I wanted to sleep with her. So he's very conflicted mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like trying to control him, his emotions with his prejudice. Like there's a point where she comes into the room and he says, relieved by her return, a warm sensation bloomed in my belly at the sight of her, which I was quick to stamp out. So he's trying to prevent himself from feeling kindly towards her, which is rude. Rude. Yeah. Rudeness. <laughs> So I think weird. it's also like <laughs> that beginning of like forbidden love and it makes it that much more like intoxicating. Especially to somebody like Chance. Yeah. yeah. Where he's like, it's so risque. I can't. I won't. But, but I, I must. Want to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't, but I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're getting into like more of the mystery part because the inspector is interviewing our main cast and crew. And of course, Chance is like the last person which I, does mean Cadence's papers pass inspection. So that was good on her part. She yeah. didn't spend all her life savings on bad forgeries, at <laughs> <Yeah>. least. <laughs> Thankfully. It was done in crayon. <laughs> <laughs> I like this interview, and I like that the interview is sort of a funny power play between Chance, who's like now going to be inheriting, and then the inspector, Brivois, mm-hmm. sitting in the library and offering Chance some of his own, I think, whiskey. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a weird dynamic. Yeah. Because they're both used to being like top dog, Mm -hmm. I think. And so they're not getting along well. And this interview just goes really horribly. (laughs) (laughs) Just so badly. And I think it sucks because Chance is actually being very honest in it. He's not sugarcoating his father. He's not saying, you know, I'm so distraught. My father and I were best friends. He's being very forthright yes forthright and he admits that he's basically just in shock still and unfortunately the inspector thinks that chance is the murderer he like totally turns all his honest words back on him because chance in the interview says that like his dad was a bastard demanding patronizing man who was hard to get along with he was going to marry desdemona who chance doesn't like all of this then is like flipped on chance and yeah. like, you're the suspect yeah. now yeah i kind of like like to paint that as like a boy who cried wolf problem where it's like chance you've been a liar and like flippant and a horrible person for so long that now you're finally like 
in shock enough to be honest and no one believes you. No one believes you. No one yeah. takes you at face value because you haven't been honest with anybody ever. So <laughs> Nope. <laughs> and it was like a really exciting and intense moment as like the audience to read that because you know obviously he's innocent, but it's like there's no way to prove it. So it's kind of just like, oh no, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like That's in pretty that much moment what Chance as a says reader, too. He's just kind of like, ah Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I remember reading that moment. It was like literally to no one, like out loud, I'm like, what do we do? Like, <laughs> how do we prove our innocence? And I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> it's not me. Okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not in trouble. But, um, uh, it's funny, too, that Chance just like did not think he was a suspect at all because he's a prime suspect. And then the fact that his bedroom door was the only way in and out. Obviously, you look yeah, guilty. But I think that's just more of his like self-absorption where he's just like, well, I know I'm innocent. So obviously everyone else is going to pick up on that. Right. And it's like, no chance. Yeah. No, no, not, not at all. all. <laughs> Man, you look super guilty. Him not having a proper like alibi mm-hmm. either. Yep. Yeah. Victoria ruined that for him. So, you know, we could be like, I was getting down all night. So <laughs> I possibly I could have murdered my dad. So. I was really busy. <laughs> <laughs> and then also in this scene, it's revealed that Felix's copy of the will is missing. And then the one at the solicitor's office was voided. Yeah. Which we know from the overheard conversation with Solomon that he was planning on changing it. But now there's questions about where things are and if there is a copy of the will anywhere that hasn't been destroyed so that's very intriguing i had a really big question for like how you structure your mystery Mm -hmm. so since i do read a lot of mystery i know that there's sometimes the authors will provide enough clues for the readers to have solved it all before the end on their Mm -hmm. own if they're clever enough to string them together but then also sometimes when the detective has their like grand reveal at the end of a book they reveal some off-screen evidence that they have like that the reader doesn't know about Mm. yet how do you pick like how much you want to reveal when you're writing your story i would say that i rely heavily on chances lack of noticing things (laughs) That's a nice way to put it, where I don't ever go so far as to, like, purposefully withhold clues, which I know, like, even Christy herself did that a couple times in some of, like, her Marples, for example. She'll just, like, Miss Marple have, like, overheard something in a conversation in a chapter we never got to listen to. And it's like, well, that's not fair. Like, how am I supposed to know that? Yeah. So I'll never go that far. Everything you need to know will be on the page before the final denouement. But it might not seem like it's a clue at the time because Chance doesn't see things the way a normal detective would see them. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, Because I know I get disappointed when the detective is explaining everything and they're like, oh, and I got these lab results from something that you didn't know I had even tested. And you're like, but I can't solve the mystery if you didn't tell me that. Yeah. (laughs) So far... I've been like going through everything and I was like, that tree, it's a clue. This thing, it's a clue. Yes, so yeah. and there, whatever you've been peppering in has been done very well and very subtly. There will, there will be more pepper. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> more pepper in the pepper pot. <laughs> yeah, I just figured that that would be really tough as a person creating a mystery of like putting just enough detail in without overfilling the pages and making everything seem like a clue. It is. But then yeah. also not trying to spell it out. It's kind of yeah. like doing a magic trick is what the way I kind of think about it is it's 
I don't know if you guys have seen the prestige, but you know, they talk about like there, there's the difference between like, uh, when you do a magic trick, you need to get people to watch you, but also watch something else. So they're not watching too closely at what you're doing, because if they watch too closely, they're going to see the trick, but they need to be distracted just enough so that they believe in the magic. It's that kind of thing Ooh. where, so it's like, I need to show you enough that you can follow along and you don't feel like I cheated you, but I can't show you so much that you get the trick. Yeah. That's a really good description yeah. of it. I love that. That's a good it's balance. It's super hard to, to get. I'm actually struggling with that a little bit in another book that I'm working on right now. That's also a mystery where I'm like, oh, you know, I made it. I didn't do enough distraction. So it's a little too obvious what you should be paying attention to. And that ruins it. It just makes it frustrating and boring. So you have to kind of sprinkle in enough spare dust to make it interesting. <laughs> Did you when you. Did your drafts, did you get feedback from people that things were either like too subtle or too in your oh, face? Yeah. yeah, very much so. <laughs> and then both of those on different things where so they're like, wow, you really like hammered home that this particular clue was a clue. You need to back off all that because it kind of ruins the whole reveal. And it's like, oh, OK, so I have to make that more subtle. And then other things where it's like, wow, I missed entirely that you'd ever mentioned that. That's Ooh, a problem. OK, and it's like, oh, OK, so I need to make that a little more obvious. I can do that. That's got to be a really big challenge to navigate that. So I'll give you a lot of credit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like having uh, like beta readers helps a lot yes, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my beta readers are a blessing upon me. Um, they are so good. And <laughs> my editor helps a lot with that too, because she's a big murder mystery reader and watcher. So she's she's got a good handle on the, the kind of pattern and rhythm of mysteries and, and kind of what needs to go where and what's an okay trope to lean on and then when you shouldn't lean on it too hard, mm. that kind of thing. Oh, that, yeah, that's really yeah. helpful. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I actually have a, a question. When you were uh, developing the mystery part of the book, do you think about the crime and work backwards or do you have characters in your mind right out of the gate that are going to be like nefarious? Oh, and then work forward? Yeah. 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 It depends. For this first book, for .exe... I definitely just had a bunch of characters in mind, and then I had to figure out who did it. Like, okay. I had the crime in mind, but I didn't know which one of them were responsible until I was about three quarters of the way through writing it. And then I was like, oh, okay. Because sometimes as you're writing, you you get a deeper understanding of who the characters are. And so then it becomes clearer, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's why this person would have the motivation that outweighs all these other people's motivations and why they would do it like this. And But with other books, like the, the second Caden's Turing book, that one, I knew exactly who did it. And I worked backwards um, and kind of built it up around them, yeah. which was a totally different writing experience. And in some ways was very helpful. And in some ways was less so because then I would find that I'd have scenes and I was like, this doesn't fit at all. It totally takes away from the, my end goal. I have to either cut it or completely rework it. And I don't want to do either of those. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to throw away work that you've yeah. done. Oh, I was very intrigued by the end of this chapter, actually, because Chance is reeling, obviously, with <laughs> the enough. revelation that he is prime suspect number one. There's not enough evidence yet to let him go. So Bribois lets him leave, but basically threatens him. And then Dr. Merton is like signing for the release of the body, but he can't see what he's signing. And I feel like that's going to come back into play that he, I think they had him sign it on a tablet or something. And he was like, what's, what's, what am I looking at? Where am I, what am I signing? And I couldn't tell if it was just like 
Dr. Merton being fumbling around or if he can't actually see things very well, because that might affect his interpretation of evidence or maybe him as a witness for things. Ooh, so We shall see. I... Yeah, we got our eyes on Dr. Merton. <laughs> I know you can't tell us. So that's what's so frustrating. <laughs> and I got to give you credit. You're maintaining a very good poker no, face. I try. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm terrible with that. Like I, I'm a truther. That's it. I can't hide anything. Yeah, that would be tough for you. <laughs> I'd be like, no, really. And then it's just, <laughs> why would you think that? Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, that was just an interesting part. From at first, I was like, what's he signing? They revealed that it was for the release of the body, but at first, I thought he was up to some sort of weird deal with the inspector mm-hmm. or something. Cadence and Dr. Merton then find Chance, who's like, I think he's essentially slumped on the floor for shock at this point. And he tells Henry that Brabois thinks he's the murderer, but of course the inspector's like standing right behind him. And he's like, I do think you're the murderer and I'm going to come get you. (laughs) I'll get you, my pretty. Yeah, it was definitely like that. And of course, all these like rich people are just like, no, no one will possibly think that and like think they're immune to the justice Mm -hmm. system. Um, and they're also entirely unhelpful. <laughs> totally useless. They just kind of give him, ugh, yeah, they just kind of give him like empty like assurances that things will be fine. And I'm like, they're not going no, to be fine. you're going to jail. R- right? Like, I get this in your head. Yeah. <laughs> and then because Chance and Cadence still have a wedge driven between them, he's sitting in this chair and he can sense that she's behind him, but she just walks away and it's sort of this like sad lingering moment of just talk to yeah, her please yeah <laughs> just there's like that empty yearning yeah i'm like just say you're sorry i think they get it back together in the next chapter oh for sure the next day chance couldn't sleep all night and finds himself falling asleep like i think very very early in the morning so he's off on a totally different schedule there's a great line where he says i tried smothering myself with a pillow confident that losing consciousness and sleeping were almost the same thing <laughs> And I don't know why that line just really stood out to me. I love it. I think it. we've all been there on sleepless nights where you're like, if I was just like to knock myself out, that'd basically be like resting, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where you like count down. You're like, okay, if I fall asleep now, I'll get three hours of sleep, but I have to fall asleep this very minute. Yeah, and then yeah. I'm like, should I take like NyQuil? Will that help? Or will I just wake up as a zombie? Yeah, like, like, how will this work? <laughs> what will be good for me? Yeah. And considering <laughs> how much stress and frustrations he's under, it just. He's an autopilot. Yeah. yeah. So he does fall asleep. And then when he wakes up, Cadence is in his rooms with breakfast on a tray. So she's still being very kind to him, even though he's been an absolute ass towards <laughs> yeah. her. Yeah, she's phenomenal. <laughs> um, That's like the best way to wake up ever. Just someone bringing you breakfast in bed. like On a fancy, fancy tray. tray. Like, yeah. Amazing. And I, I did pick up that it was a clue because she said she used a cart lift to get the breakfast upstairs. And a good dumbwaiter seems like a very essential part of a classic mystery. Very Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because of like the way the house is laid out and the way the mystery seems to be developing, did you actually have to draw out the map of the house and how things were I coordinated? I did, yeah. I actually used a app um, that for like architectural design on my phone where I could like create like floor <laughs> plans of houses. And I, I actually had to draw out where all the rooms were and like the staircase and various parts of the house. So I would make sure I wouldn't get things mixed up about what was where, which was super fun, actually. And I've, I've managed to do that for a lot of books after this one. 
it just helps you conceptualize the space. That's awesome. I love that you did that. That sounds great. Do you think you would ever put a map or a, like a floor plan in Yeah, the maybe. Yeah, I think it'd be super cool for like like a box set release or something. I think that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be great. Because I think I read, I think it was the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle had like a big yes. map in it. And I yeah. like that. But I'm just like a sucker for maps and books in general because it's like a big fantasy thing. And I, I always yeah. love yeah, yeah, maps and books. It makes you feel like you're part of the action. Right? Yeah. Especially when they put on places in the maps that have absolutely nothing to do with the story and like never get mentioned. But I'm like, ooh, what's this yeah. place? What's that place? <laughs> That's cool. That's really fun. So obviously I know there's no map or artwork in the book, but you have a really cool cover. Did you hire somebody to do that or are you an artist yourself? No, I am absolutely not a visual artist. Um, <laughs> I hired uh, Julianne Stone, who is a fantastic artist. You could find her on Instagram and Twitter and her website. Um, and she is just wonderful. She has been doing all the covers for the Kate and Stirring mystery series. And uh, I found her work through Twitter, I think it was. I just fell in love with it. I thought it was so good. And it was just perfect for the, I wish I had a different word than this, but the vibe that I wanted, you know, just kind of the feel of this kind of like bright noir, if that's even a thing. But you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's kind of like. It really fits the atmosphere of the Yeah, book. yeah. Where it's like, it's really colorful, but it still has that edge to it that I thought would be really cool. But yeah, yeah. she's fantastic. Oh, cool. Did you have her read the book and then make a cover? Did you have exactly what you wanted in mind? No, so um, I had, especially for the first one, I had like no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> I just was like, uh, I really like your style. Could you maybe want to work with me on a cover? And she was like, yeah, sure. So I sent her a um, like three paragraph summary of what happened in the book. And she read that and she just ran with it and just gave me a couple different like oh, cover wow. mock-ups. And we went back and forth a bit and we landed on what well, we landed on for the first cover. That's all out of uh, Julianne's head. She's just fantastic. Wow. Yeah, I really yeah. liked it. The like bright dot you have for Cadence's Isn't eye. That so cool? I think that. Yeah, <laughs> I really like it, and it makes sense. Like now that we know she's not human, I was like, does she have like abilities that humans don't have? Like, can she see in the dark or things yeah, like that? Yeah, I love it. It's like a nice little like Easter egg on the cover of the book. It's so cool. Mm. Right, but like I wouldn't. It doesn't really spoil right? anything yeah. for me either. It's not like super obvious that she's an animanecron. So yeah, I really liked it. Um, I like asking about the cover art. But Cadence is there, speaking of Cadence, to offer help to Chance, which is so nice of her. She doesn't have to do this, but it's because she thinks he's innocent. Oh, I love this whole like reveal. She says that she's seen killers and they don't look like you. Obviously, we get this moment of, well, what has Cadence been up to when she's not been around Chance? She's been around killers, but also I kind of love that it's almost like a playful insult. Like you're clearly not threatening enough <laughs> to be a murderer <laughs> slash, you know, maybe you're not competent enough either, but also you're not a violent and brutal person as you make yourself out to be. I thought that that was a reference to Whiston, the killers that she's seen there, like the people that are destroying her people. That's probably like the intended purpose. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause Chance basically says, like references that he says the bottom fell out of my stomach closing my eyes i put the half-eaten bread on the bedside table i had been trying not to think about what cadence may or may not have seen or done in her escape from whiston and the archerusins Ar- nope. oh Arcusians. okay i maybe also typed that wrong 
<laughs> who were so intent on destroying her kind. To have her shove her tragedy in my face with such a calm left me with a sudden urge to hold her. So Chance at least is very empathetic, and I think that that's what helps him overcome his prejudices towards Cadence. He's never really thought about what she had to go through or what's been happening to her people at all. He was just like, ew, you're gross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good that he does have empathy and it's going to really help him overcome his biases because I think that's a realistic thing for people when they can empathize or put themselves in somebody else's shoes and they can start to understand mm-hmm. them better. And that's what Chance starts to do. Cadence is being the real MVP here and like standing up and helping Chance. Yeah. It's also revealed that she has over 10,000 texts stored in her mind that she's read all these mystery novels by knowing so many of these and makes her a perfect detective. I love it. <laughs> like That felt very comic book to me and fun. Yeah, she's got cool powers. She's also 120 years old, so that was like slipped in yeah. there. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. She yeah, she's not uh, human aged. <laughs> no. Uh, are they immortal can they just live forever i'm not going to answer that only because it kind of comes up later oh okay i then yes. don't yeah don't spoil it <laughs> <laughs> no spoilies um i was wondering too if there's going to be a part where because cadence has all these mystery novels at her fingertips but doesn't have any actual crime background um she's not been studying real murder cases just mystery novels mm-hmm. If she's going to run into a part in the book where she doesn't have the type of knowledge that she's looking for. Sort of. Um, I would say it's more <laughs> like she lacks real world application to understand Ooh, okay. how how crime actually affects people. Um, because, you know, as we all know, it's like, you know, in mystery books, it's all fun, right? I mean, it's all just a big game. It's a big puzzle. But in real life, these are real people with real families and their deaths affect people in real ways. It's not all fun and games. Ooh, I, okay. I I like that. Yeah, because mm. so far she's been very... She has been like, approaching this as like a puzzle to unlock yeah, rather not than like, like... disregarding people's emotions, but she's totally been on the puzzle and detective side of things. Mm-hmm. And then even in like chapter 14 when they go to view the body, she's very objective and Chance is clearly struggling and I don't think she really picks yeah. up on it. Chance doesn't really react the best to Cadence's offer of help. Unfortunately, (laughs) his empathy hasn't gone that far yet. Uh, And he reveals that he only invited her to his house in the first place to bed her. So he's laying all cards on the table. But Cadence says that that was still a kind thing to do. So that's interesting to me that she still is seeing Chance so positively. Yeah, I thought she was going to like officially write him off after this interaction. Yeah, because he calls her a talking calculator and a walking hunk of scrap metal. So he's got some mean insults that are a bit below the belt. Yeah, Yeah, he definitely does not hold back. I mean, not not that I'm a chance apologist. It's terrible. You shouldn't say those things about somebody, especially when they're (laughs) offering to help you. But, you know, he's really shooken up. He's not coming from a good place. He just lets his emotions get the better of him, which he frequently does. Yes, he definitely does. Oh, for sure. (laughs) And it was nice to see Cadence kind of have this reactive moment, too, and not just take it where she finally has her outburst. I've lost everything. My family, my friends, my whole world is being butchered by you hateful, empty monsters, and you soulless things don't even care. Like, who are the real monsters in this? It's nice to see that, although 
Chance is dehumanizing Cadence. She's having a very quote unquote human reaction to his prejudices and finally sticking up for herself. Yeah. yeah, I like that we're learning more about Cadence too. Yeah. And so with that being said, getting full circle on some of this philosophical content, when you're writing your books, do you have something that you want your readers to take away from these parts of your book as far as um, learning like, lessons or just themes? themes? I guess the kind of biggest theme or lesson or whatever you want to call it, thought, I want readers to take away from the Cadence Turing books is really what's to be lost by being kind. Hmm. You know, so much of the world's problems, in my opinion, is because we assume that other people don't have the same capacity for kindness or love or emotion as we do. I try in, in these books to show that it's like, you know, by offering a hand to someone in kindness, you gain more than you lose. Even if it turns out that that person isn't in a place to accept that kindness, you've done yourself a service by offering it, if that makes any sense. That doesn't sound too, you know, Sunday schooly. I hope. No, that's phenomenal. Yeah, because so many books, like especially like, you know, I grew up being a huge Harry Mm -hmm. Potter fan. And I feel like the theme of that book was like the power of friendship. And I think this is like a little bit more of like an elevated version on that Mm -hmm. theme. And it's not just like friendship will cure everything. We'll all be better for it. But the realities of actually offering friendship to someone are beneficial to you and to them, even if it doesn't always get accepted. Yeah, Yeah. And I'd like to think that it's like, yeah, there are lots of problems out there they're complicated and hard and they're not going to have an easy fix. But you can make a great stride toward making the world, whatever your world happens to be, a better place by just approaching other people as if they have problems the same as you and could use a hand. I really like that. It's a very simple message that I think everyone can get behind too. And then chances something that's not very friendship oriented and tries to kiss Cadence. <laughs> that's for special friends. Yeah, really. Chance. No. Oh my god. And good on Cadence, straight up slaps him. And then he tries to kiss her again, and she slaps him again and leaves. And it's just Chance being back to his old self. Yep. Like. He has reset. I thought that was so funny because I think at one point she says, What's wrong with you? And he was like, I don't know. I thought something was wrong with me, but I guess yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> so he, what a great way to cut the tension of like everything that's going mm-hmm. on. Like, I feel like that was a great little palate cleanse moment where like we have these moments where we're like hardcore judging chance or being like crappy, but there's like this disappointment and then this happens and it's like still equally disappointing and not okay. But there's just like a lightness to it that kind of breaks the, uh, intensity of the atmosphere a bit it's almost like oh we're back to him just being regularly disappointing instead of deeply disappointing it's like oh yeah you're back on your bullshit i'm familiar with this chance yes (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was funny too because i think obviously we don't have lots of information about chance's past exploits but i can totally see him thinking that this is going to be like an enemies to lovers moment where they're fighting and then they kiss and it's like beautiful and perfect and she's just like no no, not why at all. Would, why would that work? Yeah. I told you I didn't want to be kissed. This is not what I wanted. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but like him equally being confused and being like, why didn't that work? <laughs> like it's worked before. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I think Chance definitely thought that in his head. It's like, this is going to go great. I'm going to kiss her and then we're going to, yeah, it'll all be sunshine and rainbows and we'll prove that I'm innocent and all will be well. 
And Kate's just like, I'm like so <laughs> extremely mad at you right now. Why would this make me anything but more mad at you? This is not going to solve our problems of you being accused of murder. Let's yeah, get like, focused on like what nothing. we need to be focused yeah. on, Chance. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that scene was so funny. <laughs> and then I like that she literally is super strong, too, because she is more than human. Hits Chance so hard. <laughs> You know, he just kind of takes it. Like, he goes looking for Cadence several hours later, but um, her rooms are empty. He makes, like, an offhand comment about how she's gone through his clothes, and he's like, ooh, I wish she would wear some of those, or, like, like just something, like, totally chance. Yeah, classic, classic chance. chance. <laughs> but he finds a picture of Cadence's family, or her friends. I'm not sure if it, it was family mm-hmm. or friends. He says it's the kind of family that he always dreamed of having, and it had been hers. And I think he's really finally... The empathy is just like really snowballing in him. He's getting better at understanding Cadence, not as an object, but as a person. And by object, I mean when he was like womanizing mm-hmm. her, not an AI yeah. object. Um, <laughs> both, both objects, both kind of objects. Both, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> then you did like a little full circle thing. He makes a side note that Whiston is uninhabitable. And so she'd always lived underground, which brings us back to the beginning when she was like, oh, my God, the clouds. Yes. It's a little full circle moment there, which I liked. That was a nice payoff reward as a reader of like fine tooth combing things, mm-hmm. too. Where yeah. I was like, oh, that's why she was so excited. It just felt nice to be like, all right, it's good that we're paying yes. attention. Yeah. The, the, yes, you are right. There are things you should be picking up on. Yeah. So then Chance goes and finds Cadence and Victoria at the pool. I love the description of everything going on at the pool and like the difference between Victoria and Cadence because you wrote, Victoria was stretched out in her usual spot on the far side of the pool next to the columns which held up the diving boards. Her skin radiated heat, sharp green eyes hidden behind thick sunglasses. By comparison, Cadence looked like one of the statues surrounding her. Skin so pale, I fancy that sunlight might reflect off her skin if it hit at the right angle. The effect was enhanced by the fact that, unlike Victoria, who shifted and breathed, Cadence was completely still, as if made of stone. So he is still picking up on the differences between Cadence and humans, Mm -hmm. but in a bit of a less judgy way and more just factually noting them. And in this scene, it almost seems like he's appreciating her beauty. Yeah, like he's getting kind of into it. He's like, I didn't think I was into robots, but now maybe I am. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I could be. This is crazy. (laughs) A whole new type of woman I could bother. (laughs) Exactly. A whole new demographic. The world is mine. (laughs) (laughs) Chance finally admits to Cadence that he was wrong. He apologizes. And he has this like, Moment, I think he's hit rock bottom, but I think he has this moment where he realizes that he is at rock bottom and voices it. And I think from that point, you can only improve because he says, I'm cowardly, conceited and a sluggard of the first degree. I certainly don't deserve your help. During my tiny blip of existence in this universe, I haven't added one bit of anything to this world, good or bad, but my father did. For better or worse, the world is different because he lived in it and he didn't deserve to die like that. Yes, and in our notes, I just love in all caps, he's improving. (laughs) Growth. (laughs) Character growth. Yes. Love Um, it, love it. So yeah, he goes through tons of character development in these sections. Um, Was it hard to write that, or did that come pretty easily? A little bit of both. It came easy in the sense that I knew it needed to happen. It felt like the natural progression of, like, we had discussed, like, he hit rock bottom. The only place for him to go was up, if I wanted him to still be my main character. 
I couldn't just leave him there. He had to improve <laughs> if I wanted to continue writing the series with him as my narrator and not have people just like chuck the book and go away. So I knew I had to do it. Doing it was difficult because it still had to seem realistic and reasonable. He couldn't just suddenly become like, you know what? I'm just going to be a good person now. It's like, no, <laughs> it's nice that you want to be a good person and that's great. And you can make strides towards that, but change doesn't happen overnight or in a vacuum. Yeah. you gotta Exactly. It. Yeah. And he's been through some really tough things right now really quickly. So he can have some exponential growth, but at his heart, he still had to be who he is. He does still seem very much like chance. And I like, I don't remember if it's the end of this chapter or the next chapter, but he's like, I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to go look for clues. And it's just sort of this like foolhardy like thing. I'm like, that's not helpful. What are you doing? (laughs) But he thinks he's like so great. Oh, you just take a backseat, okay? (laughs) Right. Like just tag along with Cadence. It'll be so much better for you both. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of which, I give Cadence so much credit because she eventually does agree to help him on behalf of his father, which in my perspective is she's agreeing to help chance because of what happened to his dad, not because of like who his dad was because he was again, like a terrible person as well. His company did technically create anima Necrons, So they're the reason that cadence exists. exists. So I think it's sort of a weird dynamic she's feeling towards Felix, but yeah, she does agree to help. And I think she specifically says like on behalf of your dad, I will help you. And she says something like, I'll help you too, Chance, like if you think you're deserving of it or like when you think you're ready for it or something like that. I like that she's picking up the fact that Chance has been going through a lot lately and isn't going to just shove help at him yeah. either. Then they get to go over every person's motives and personalities, which is like the the mystery summary mm-hmm. point that's yes. always really important of like the who's who and what's going on with everybody. Classic mystery. I love, too, that they do Cadence first, which is hilarious, because in our first episode, I was like, Cadence has no motives. (laughs) So I could eat my words there. (laughs) So her motives are that Felix was bigoted and hated her people, and that he may have found out what she is. But she does say that, like, no, she did not kill him. And I don't think she did. No. Chance then has to tell Cadence everything he did during the night of the murder, including everything about Victoria he notes that he locked the connecting door the night before, but then it was unlocked in the morning and that the key was on the floor and not his bedside table, which he thinks is because he knocked it off in the night. No, but that's pretty odd. And I think Cadence later has a theory that someone like threw the key underneath the door. He thankfully remembered enough from that night to be helpful um, with some clues. So he wasn't totally oblivious. Chance, helpful. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay! He's improving! Yay! (laughs) And then they also go over Henry's motives, which are that he's upset about the Negrescu necklace, and that he was also worried that his father was going to be fired from Halcyon Enterprises. But then Chance says that Minerva would be way more likely to protect Solomon than Henry would. Yeah, that that was part of my theory, even from the beginning, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'd already like known everybody's motives, but it's nice to always have the summary and get our detective and their sidekick on the same page. Right. Yeah, I thought that was good. Victoria then ends up interrupting this whole rundown. Ugh, and she's just rude. She's yeah. always rude. She insinuates that Chance <laughs> will go to jail. She insults Cadence, saying that she's taking advantage of Chance. Again, Cadence just on the up and up. 
claps back at Victoria. Victoria's mad, which she totally deserves to have somebody insult her. <laughs> yeah. I totally picture Victoria as like the popular girl in school that no one ever said anything mean to or mean about. And so she's just like, yes. ah, no one ever has insulted me. Yeah, like doesn't even know how to react. No one talks to me like that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So then Chance makes up an excuse for him and Cadence to leave because he doesn't want to talk to Victoria. I like that Cadence is still kind of like confused about some human things because he's like, we should go, wink, wink. And she's like, why? He's like, why? <laughs> I'm having fun. Like, this is fine. <laughs> right? Like, the pool is a great spot to yeah. hang out. And then hilarious, I think it's the final line of the chapter, Chance says, then, because I'm a man who will never burn a bridge that leads back to a willing woman, I stole a kiss from Victoria and hurried away. So, regular old Chance again. That's yeah. our boy. There he is. We know exactly what we're getting. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of a side question that I wanted to ask about. I didn't have a a perfect spot to put it into the episode, but since we're going over all the characters and their motivations, how did you come up with all your character names? Oh, that's a great question. How did I come up with all the... Oh, well, yeah. Um, I was at that point in my writing career where I used... This is weird, maybe, but... My parents had kept the (laughs) best baby name book that they had used to name my sister and I for forever. Uh, And so I literally had a paper book of the best baby names from like 1985 or whatever. And I would like flip through the book and just write down names that caught my attention that I thought would like fit particular characters. And that's how I did the first names. The last names I went on behind the name or behind the surname.com. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that site, but it's really cool. No. They have one for first names too, just called Behind the Name. And you can sort it by different regions, by different etymological roots, all these kinds of things. And I just tool around until I found something that fit for each person. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, and I did Chance and Cadence first. Cadence, obviously, her last name was easy because I knew I wanted it to be computer science related. And Alan Turing, of course, created the Turing test. That was like perfect. <laughs> so I knew I, I had her last name pretty well sorted. But yeah, everyone else, I just kind of puzzle pieced together. That's awesome. I feel like their names do fit really well. Like Victoria, obviously, is very like haughty. And I feel like that's a perfect name mm-hmm. for her. Henry, I just feel like because he's so studious, I I don't I literally don't think this is the person's name at all. But I always picture like Professor Plum from the Clue game. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like he looks like a Henry. Yeah. And then... Henry makes sense. Like, it's not his name at all. And I don't think that Professor Plum even has a first name, but I just feel like that that's like who I'm picturing. Yeah, in my if mind. he did have a first name, it'd be Henry. Right? Henry Classic. Plum. Yeah. Great name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was just wondering because I think that that's really interesting. And sometimes I think authors just pick names at random. And I think sometimes they're intentional and sometimes they're shout outs to friends or family mm-hmm. members. So I was just wondering how you. Yeah, I always yours. try to avoid names of like people I know. Probably uh, a yeah, good idea. Because I just never, I never want to have that awkward conversation of like, oh, is this supposed to be me? And we have to be like, no, it's not you. No. I promise. <laughs> You're not. not that interesting to put in my book. <laughs> you know, like, um, so yeah, I, I try to avoid actual people I know. That's like my only naming rule is if I've met somebody with that name, I almost never can use it again because I just, I just think of that person when I'm writing and it ruins it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> In chapter 13, Chance and Cadence go to the garden to finish discussing the motives, but Chance is already, like, totally distracted by wanting to kiss Cadence again for insulting Victoria, (laughs) so, like, his mind is elsewhere. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He is just very 
singularly driven. <laughs> <laughs> he's the only person I know that his life will be crumbling around him and he's still just sex driven. Yep. <laughs> right now he's got that thing in cartoons where your eyes are just hearts and like nothing is getting through to him because he's it's just like, like she it's like it's like he's never been hit that hard by anybody and now he's like wow she hit me and she's being nice to me and i think i'm in love with her so nothing else matters it's like chance you're gonna go to jail you're gonna go to jail like yeah. some things are more important than that right now like like please yeah. focus on that <laughs> so they're in the garden which is chance's mother's garden and like they've kept it up for her memory or something mm-hmm. like that um but it's also full of belinda's gems and crystals yep. which i don't know if that's going to be important but if belinda's a geology expert i thought that maybe she would have something to do with the negrescu necklace if it's like crystals and stones um, oh yeah, yeah or like if she she'll be able to weigh in with information on it at some point so i'll just mention that we'll see if it happens i guess <laughs> So they go over the rest of the characters' motives. So Desdemona obviously was going to be marrying Felix. So maybe she thought she was already in the will. Yeah, and just inherit everything. Or maybe found out that she wasn't going to be in it and got angry. So that's intriguing that we're not sure. And at this point, Chance also reveals to Cadence that the will is missing. So she didn't know that information Mm -hmm. yet. But then she says, if Felix was going to put Desdemona into the will, why would she destroy it? So that kind of puts a hole in one of their theories. So obviously, I know that the will is like a huge part of the mystery. And I just wish we knew a little bit more about it. Or yeah. um, I hope they find it at yeah. some point, too. Also, it could be like one of those things where you kind of write off Desdemona, where she always seems so timid and skittish. Like, how could she do this? Because Felix was murdered so grisly and like awful right and she's been weak yeah i highly doubt it but it could be like a who would suspect and then like this whole moment desdemona is secretly super strong yeah well you know there was that whole connection with potential previous drug use yeah well we're gonna talk about that once yeah yeah we'll talk about that don't get ahead of ourselves i know i know they say Belinda doesn't really have an obvious motive, but Cadence does say that she's the murdering type, whatever that ends up meaning. And then Dr. Merton is revealed to be, again, like sort of a shadowy figure. He's not really a friend of the family. So why was he invited to this really important family party? They say that he's very cowardly and question whether or not cowardice or fear could drive him to murder. So we don't know a lot about him still. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me feel more suspicious of him. (laughs) So suspicious. Why is he here at all? (laughs) Are you even really a doctor? (laughs) See, we don't know. Uh, And then obviously Victoria's motives are that she will be Chance's wife and she'll inherit with him. Which I totally could see her wanting. And she's like mentioned in passing like, oh, we can enjoy the estate one day together Mm -hmm. uh, and stuff like that. But I don't think she's the murderer. No, She's the type of girl like, I broke a nail. There's no way, <laughs> you know, she'd be coming in with like the candelabra yeah. and like clobbering feelings, you know? <laughs> True. So those are all our characters' motives. Was it tough to come up with believable motives for each character or did that come naturally? Came pretty naturally. I find <laughs> from my readings of Agatha Christie and also just my general knowledge of people, you'd be surprised at how easy it is to put people in a position to want to murder somebody. 
Um, it doesn't take much, actually. <laughs> We're very violent people, <laughs> human beings. It doesn't take much, really, to push people over the edge, especially when you have someone like Felix, who is so inconsiderate of other people's feelings and just kind of does what he wants without thinking how it affects others. And sadly, there are a lot of people like that, too, who just kind of go through the world going, well, it's my world, so I can do what I want. And it's like, well, actions have consequences. And sometimes the consequences is getting beat about the head until you die. So get your face peeled yeah. off. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to somebody, hopefully. But, but this, there's a great Agatha Christie book called Toward Zero. Yeah, it's not one of her Poirots or Marples. It's not one of her detective books, um, but it's one of her murder mysteries. Uh, but the whole title is taken from the idea of that there's a whole sequence of things that lead towards the moment zero, the moment of a murder. Until Ooh. you get to zero, you have the t- chance to stop a murder. All those little things all add up. And I find it really fun to actually go back and create those situations of just little things over time that build resentment and distrust and hatred. It makes sense too, like, um, especially with Solomon, like, I feel like that's something for him is like, it seems like he's had to work under Felix's thumb for so many years. He keeps getting written off with his ideas, but then they're also neighbors, which makes their dynamic very strange because they're sort of friends outside of work, but there's still a power dynamic. So like, I can totally see that slow burn of just like getting fed up. Yeah. The resentment with somebody like Felix. And then on top of it, you have potential for like, money being a motivating factor too because he is so so yeah. wealthy but like his personality was just grating i think that that could be like a stronger factor than money or land By itself certainly obviously because yeah chance didn't inherit like he's gonna inherit but that wasn't enough for him to think ever about killing his father to get those things sooner right. oh this is the part where chance then decides he's going to go do some sleuthing on his own. (laughs) I liked how innocent his attempts were (laughs) and like sort of obvious. Yeah. So he does actually overhear a conversation, which is always intriguing in murder mysteries because you never know what people are fully talking about and you only get half the conversation. But it is Dr. Merton and Desdemona and they are on a first name basis, which makes me think that they have a much longer history together because they're calling each other desi and douglas which is like very familiar names it's definitely more than just doctor patient relationship Mm. yeah i think there's definitely more to that dynamic going on especially because he was like treating her very kindly earlier at the beginning of the episode chance says that like he was doting over desdemona as a patient my current theory is that they're siblings oh but I want to talk about my theory like at the end. Ed. Okay. <laughs> He's trying to get her to take something, which he then later, I think, reveals to Chance it was a sedative for her nerves. But we don't know if that's actually what he was trying to get her to take. And Desdemona says she doesn't need it anymore and like storms off. So it's just this weird argument that mm. we're not clear about what they're fighting about. And then Chance trying to be so detective asks Dr. Merton when the last time he saw Felix was. (laughs) (laughs) We do get a little bit of information here, though. So Dr. Merton saw Felix around 11 o'clock. He said that he did not seem sick anymore and that he was coming from Belinda's rooms. So I don't know what he was doing in Belinda's rooms, but she would be one of the last few people who saw him then. And if he didn't seem sick anymore, obviously that that wasn't a factor in the murder but if she had actually tried to poison him with her cider that made him sick way back when maybe she tried to kill him a second time i don't know she could i don't be know what belinda's tenacious. up to 
but she seems strange, but I can't tell if she's just sort of like a kooky rich lady or if she's got more motives going on Mm -hmm. for her. She definitely seems kind of the wild card out of the bunch. Yeah, her and the doctor, I think. Well, now that we know that the doctor has a connection to Desdemona, I feel like Belinda's now sort of like the one we know the least about. Yeah, like I feel like from her, there are obviously established connections with her in Chance, but I don't know. There's just, it's almost kind of to me like, why are you here? (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm interested to see as the plot develops, like what's going on with Aunt B, like there's definitely more to it. Yep. Chance also finds a scrap of cloth that was stuck in his breakfast cart wheels, which is a clue. Mm-hmm. And it ends up actually being a really helpful clue. So I'm glad he did find that. Yes. <laughs> a clue with a capital C. Yeah. Yes. Big old clue. And then he runs into Victoria and she gives him some more clues too. She's jealous of Cadence right now and she's trying to get Chance's attentions back, which he does use to get some information out of her. He is unfortunately a little bit good at manipulating people, (laughs) (laughs) which is helpful in this situation. (laughs) And what we learned from Victoria is that she actually saw Desdemona on Inspector Bribois' screens and it was a mugshot from years ago. And I think... Desdemona only knew Felix for a few months. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? So, yeah, it was like a whirlwind yeah. romance. Yeah, so this is interesting that she's got this very jaded past. So she was a drug addict and a jewel thief. And I like that it was like a made-up... Actually, I don't know if it's a made-up drug. You said a drogan addict. And I mm-hmm. like that that, that is just made up. adds to the like <laughs> sort of like sci-fi futuristic-ness of it all. Right, so that in itself is why... It could definitely be one of those moments where, you know, she's talking with Dr. Martin. She's like, I don't need it anymore, where it might have not been a sedative, but almost like, I forget what it is that people take when they're not on certain drugs anymore, but it like weans them off. Oh, like methadone? Yes, thank you. Yeah. And something like that for Drogon. And, you know, she could have potentially Ooh. had like a relapse where she took it, hulked out, and then killed Felix. Maybe that's why she's been so tired lately. Maybe she's in withdrawal, too. Yeah, maybe she's back on the Drogon. Back on the Drogon. Because my pregnancy (laughs) theory was way off. (laughs) (laughs) If she's not pregnant, she has to be a drug addict. Those are your only two paths in life, Desdemona. Pick one. (laughs) So that's currently my new running theory. That's a pretty good theory. My theory is that Desdemona and the Doctor are siblings and i feel like he planted desdemona into halcyon enterprises to seduce felix and get money because i think that the doctor seems like kind of poor uh they Mm -hmm. mentioned that at one point he treated patients like at a free clinic or something so i think he was kind of hoping that he could use desdemona just to like get some extra cash but then he's been helping her hide her drug addiction and then she ends up stealing the necklace, which I don't know if that was what he wanted her to do. But now maybe they have it and they're going to sell it for money. That's kind of my theory about what's going on with those two. Mm. We shall see. <laughs> Toria like kind of mentions a little bit that in the end of chapter 13 that she's like, oh, we should throw Desdemona out of the manor so that we can like have the manor to ourselves now. So again, kind of pushing forward that theory that Victoria wants to inherit and that could be why that would be her motive for murdering felix but i think she's just kind of an awful person yeah she's rough. <laughs> but not Which, a murderer in a way they kind of deserve each other because they're both kind of terrible 
Right? Yeah. Chance of Victoria. Like, they kind of work. But it makes sense. In a weird, horrible yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, it's like how, like, the football captain and the cheerleader always, like, yeah, go together. Yeah. And you're like, well, you're perfectly suited for one another. <laughs> Enjoy your misery. Bye-bye. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but Cadence doesn't want Chance to be alone with Victoria at all anymore. And it's like, is that stemming from a, so you don't get murdered kind of thing, or a, protective maybe even affectionate kind of way or even jealous of i don't want you hanging out with her anymore Mm, hard to say Mm. yeah but she says it's because they want she wants to work the case together and that the detectives shouldn't split up that's fair the opposite of scooby-doo tactics (laughs) (laughs) split up gang (laughs) they gotta look for clothes And then chapter 13 ends with belinda telling chance that his father's body was moved to the funeral parlor and cadence pushes that they should go check it out the following day, even though Chance seems a little iffy on going. I give him credit for going. I wouldn't want to go. No, that's heavy. And regardless of your relationship with your dad, you, you don't want to re-see someone in that type of way. It's horrible. Like, it's one thing to be like, all right, someone passed away, open casket or whatever, but his head was like crushed in. All his limbs were broken at odd angles. His face literally peeled off. I don't know throughout this mystery, I assume we'll get who did it, but I'm interested mm-hmm. to find out Maybe. how. Of course you're going to get who did it. No, of course we're going to get who did it, but I meant more of like... <laughs> That's a big twist. You never find no. out. <laughs> no, I think I would just cry. Most frustrating um, murder mystery in existence. No, more like how. Like how he was murdered. I just, really hope so. How it's like so distinct. Yeah, like you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like, oh, somebody shot him with a gun. Right. You know, oh, he tripped on a rock. Like, you know, there's. <laughs> it's very yeah. intentional. Yes. And I think that it's going to be a huge part of solving the murder and the motives. Like, why would you do this to somebody? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So chapter 14 is when they go to view the body. Um, on the way, Chance tells Cadence everything he learned from his snooping about. So he talks about Desdemona's drug addiction. And we find out that drug it makes you very strong but that she would have had to quit the drug to work at Halcyon Enterprises, which is where she met Felix. Yeah. Oh, maybe Dr. Merton was trying to give her something that would help her pass like drug tests. Yeah. See, I feel like they're in cahoots. Okay. They're definitely in cahoots. I just don't know what about. <laughs> it's sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. And then Caden says she wants to look at Brubois' old files on Desdemona. So I think that that will be their next course of action if she can get him to agree to that. Mm-hmm. But when they get to the funeral parlor, there's... Just like this whole chapter had great place descriptions. Yeah. Um, I only wrote down a couple because I didn't want to just like read entire big sections of your book back to you. But (laughs) (laughs) I loved um, one of the lines was said, Drexel's funeral parlor where the most affluent citizens of Zahia came to rest, sunk of formaldehyde, synthetic flowers and overworked electronics. And it just paints such like a artificial picture but it also gives so many of the senses so it's not just like sight uh, but you get the smell and sort of like this whole atmosphere of a unwelcoming place and just like a constantly hurried pace about it unfortunately and it's just a dreary and bustling kind of situation bustling yeah like it's by like overworked machines i just get the concept of like you know it's gonna sound very punny but like everyone's dying to get there but like you know (laughs) if it's Zahia is like most affluent <laughs> people that are dying there. Like, you know, all these rich people are having their loved ones go there. So it's like the place to go to kind of thing. 
So to me, it gives off the impression that they're constantly like having to work hard. Interesting. Okay. So that's what I took from it. You know, it might not be everyone's. I was thinking like overworked electronics, almost like the the air conditioning system or something, the way that funeral parlors are always really cold. And so it's just like a completely artificial environment. Gotcha. Gotcha. What did you mean by this? (laughs) I get to be the final person. Oh my God. So I kind of meant a little bit of both, not to, you know, make you both happy, but to make you both happy, I've kind of meant a little bit of both where, yeah, it's, it is a little bit, yeah, that it's totally artificial, you know, that it's, it is the, everything in there is, electronic and meant to keep you at a distance from people because that's my experience of funeral parlors anyway is that it's all very like once or twice or three times removed from the human experience which is terrible but also that it is like they're overworked electronics it's like it's it's a business you know like we're constantly we're trying to move (laughs) people over here we're trying to do things we're (laughs) we got to get through this this paperwork now and it's like okay like, you know, someone I love just died. Can we have a minute? And it's like, well, sure, you can have a minute after you tell us, like, what kind of casket they want and what kind of thing you want and what kind of flowers you want at the funeral. And it's like, oh, God. It removes any <laughs> compassionate element. Yeah, like, yeah. this is not you- the kind of place that is, uh, like, welcoming by any mean. Yeah. No, and it's very much, yeah, it's, it's the business of death, which is just very alienating mm. and That's true. Busy. Sadly. Plus, like, you know, when you are the person going to a funeral parlor, it's something that you don't obviously have to do, hopefully very often. But for them, it's like, you know, it's their day to day job. It's totally sterile for them. Yeah, it's just this is their life for some reason. They've decided to do this, which I mean, thank God, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> thank God we have some of those people. <laughs> mm. Yet another really good line, too, that said the air inside was stale and cold and tasted like candied plastic, oversweet and thick. And it just reminds me of that, like, hospital smell. I don't know how to describe it other than the hospital smell. But, yeah, that's exactly what I pictured when that line came up. It just is a horrible place. Picturing everything just being, like, over-scrubbed, like, plastic and everything's kind of... Like that bright white hospital light. Yeah. Yeah, it's just rough. It's unpleasant in there. And then yeah. the person that they're working with, the funeral director, seems weird, to say the mm-hmm. least. I don't... <laughs> oh, I feel like he's, like, the perfect, like, gross kind of, like, minion guy. Yeah. Constantly wringing his hands, like, you know, are you sure? It's really expensive. And he's like, yeah, I told you, like, prices issues. Like, oh, yeah, but of course, of course. Like, he's just, you know, he's placating, but he's also just kind of bothersome and obstinate in a way, too. It's just, he's an interesting character. I was just wondering why he kept saying that burial was going to be very difficult versus cremation. And if that was going to have anything to do with the like evidence that we can get to, because obviously a cremation, like the body would be destroyed and then they wouldn't be able to go back and look at it. Whereas I don't know if a burial will be, I hope they don't have to like unbury him, but <laughs> no. Yeah. And this is something that comes up, I think in a later book actually. So I, it's not a spoiler or anything. Um, so I'm happy to tell you. Um, okay. It's just that <laughs> this comes from my own Strangely enough, I have a morbid fascination with funeral rites um, and the direction that burial is going in this country and all that kind of stuff. I imagine in the future, and things are leaning that way right now, cremation would become more frequent than burial because they're running out of space. Oh, that's so smart. Basically, it's more to bury somebody because it's a question of paying for land and finding a place for them. Uh, It's a little bit more difficult than just burning someone up and giving their ashes in an urn and that's it's just a question of space and land and that's kind of what we're not we're not at that point yet but cremation is becoming yeah. more 
cost effective, <laughs> which is weird. Also very practical. We're just running out of places to put people. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. I was like, what's going on yeah. with this? Why is he being weird about like what Felix wanted? But yeah, but I just feel like it also would be very Felix to be like, no, you're going to find a place for me and you're going to plant me and people are going to come and they're going to they're going to give me flowers. It's going to be awesome. And it's like, oh, Felix, <laughs> you are going to mourn me, damn it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like the future equivalent of building a pyramid for yourself. Yes, yeah. yes, very much so. That would be very Felix, like the legacy yeah, and oh, you yeah. know, the grand, the grandness of it all. Right? Yeah, I could definitely see that. I'm surprised they don't have like a family plot on their land or something. Right? Too. Yeah. Seems very, but then I guess no one could come and leave flowers for him. Yeah. So <laughs> they get through this whole like song and dance with the funeral director or they finally get to view the body and they get Felix's personal effects, which are returned to them. Um, Where we get the big reveal that the scrap of clothing from the previous chapter yes. is a perfect match for the hole that's teared in Felix's suit. Yes. We also find out that his limbs were broken after he died. So I think that what you were saying earlier about figuring out what is going on with his body is going to be super important because why would you stick around to break somebody's limbs after you've killed them? Because you really hated that person. <laughs> <laughs> really really hated them and are also very strong yeah the blow to the head is what killed him i still don't think it was a book but we don't have any further information on that point. <laughs> soft cover <laughs> <laughs> a little paper bag <laughs> yeah so we get some really good clues there and cadence is all excited because when they get back to the manor she's like got some good ideas about what's going on they uh investigate the dumbwaiter and she I was trying to figure out if it was used to move the body upstairs or if he was killed elsewhere. Um, I love that she tests it out by like trying to climb in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, can we fit someone in here? And then they say that Henry's rooms are closest to the dumbwaiter. So then they immediately decide to go pester Henry. This was such a weird interaction. Henry's like very dispassionate about the fact that Felix has been killed. So I think, again, that's. Playing into the fact that Felix wasn't well-loved, but also it makes people look really suspicious when they don't seem to care that a brutal murder has happened. Yeah. But even just Chance saying, like, did you kill my dad? And it's, like, one of his best friends. And he doesn't be like, dude, are you serious? Like, how could you even, like, he's just so like, no, I'm good. Like, just very <laughs> calm and collected about it, which in a way, kind of then made me suspicious of Henry, even though this whole time I'm Team Henry, but like... <laughs> but he's in, like, science mode, so maybe he's just being very objective. Yeah. Because he's actually dissecting poisonous flowers, so that seems like it could be a clue or a red herring. Because mm. if poison is mentioned, you gotta perk your ears up on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Perhaps the same poison that was in the cider. Ooh, could definitely Ooh. be. Ooh. Could definitely Ooh. be. Ooh. But he also, because he's like, you know, lightly dissecting, I was wondering if that could be a clue about like having the dexterity to remove Felix's face skin, which is a weird like <laughs> thing to pick up on. But I was really yeah. trying to like parse through these clues here. <laughs> uh, but the only clue that he mentions is that it was very hot in his rooms that night. I don't know. I don't remember if he said he opened up his windows or not, but then... The proximity of the trees to his windows, if the windows were open in his room, could give somebody like an in and out of the house. Mm. I don't know if Henry necessarily did it, but he could have unintentionally like helped by opening his 
But also, why was why were his rooms very hot? We don't know. Yeah. Weird. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't say anything. I know. <laughs> just I'm just so like, mm, yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> Who would do this? Why would they put this in a book? <laughs> so. We'll have to talk to the author about that. <laughs> yeah. I wish we had someone so- could ask about that. It's crazy. <sighs> So difficult to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> so yeah, so Henry had a weird conversation. I was definitely now I'm just like looking everywhere at what everybody's doing. Mm. So dissecting yeah. poisonous flowers is not a normal activity. So he's now acting suspicious. But then they leave because Henry's not really being helpful, uh, and he also thinks that Chance is a joke by trying to solve the murder, which is <laughs> probably accurate interpretation <laughs> of Chance. But also, if this is supposed to be your best friend and they're going to jail, you should maybe try to help them. Yeah, like it's it's true, but why would you say it? Like, yeah, <laughs> we don't need your like lack of confidence right now, Henry. Yeah. The last bit of this section, Chance runs into Minerva on his way back into the house, and she mentions the FASCs, so the foot and shoe cleaners. Is that what mm-hmm. it stood for? Are not working, so I think they're actually jammed up with blood or the evidence of the murder right now because Cadence has put together this theory which she says Felix was killed in the front doorway with the murder following him from the library which is where he'd been working on the will and then that person cleaned up the blood cleaned up themselves and then moved the body upstairs with the dumbwaiter and they would lock his door from the inside unlock the connecting door go through the room while Chance and Victoria slept found his key on the bedside table let themselves out through that door, lock it from the outside, and then put the key back in under the door. I think that's a really good theory. I think she's definitely on the right track, but it's, again, opens up some more questions for us about what people are doing. Mm. And then you left us off again on a cliffhanger. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. About whether or not Felix kept a diary. So they're going to go investigate his room for that. So there's definitely some dirty secrets within that diary, if there is one. If I think there's <laughs> I think it's going to because he mentioned his like past secrets. Yeah. At the beginning. And he's a type of like arrogance where he would kind of like have this whole tome of his wrongdoings and like his justifications for it to himself. Ooh, yeah. interesting. That was where we left off. We definitely still have some questions as readers, so like where is the will? Where is the necklace? So two big things that we need to be looking for what are Felix's past secrets. So hopefully they figure that out in the next chapter. But I also have questions about Desdemona's and Dr. Murren's relationship and Desdemona's maybe other motives once we found out about her history. So like, is it money or drugs? Was she snooping on Halcyon Enterprises or anything like that? And then also just questions about Henry's poisonous flowers. Yeah, (laughs) it's sketchy. (laughs) Definitely some things we need to keep our eyes peeled for in the next section. I'm really quite at a loss for who the murderer is at this point. Yeah, I keep thinking one thing and then the more answers we get, the more questions I get in turn. So Mm -hmm. The mystery is doing a very good job of keeping us on our toes. Good. Really don't have any (laughs) concrete theories. I think I'm clinging to the idea of Desdemona and her past drug addiction coming into play, but it's not necessarily my chief theory at the moment. I still think whoever stole the necklace is a separate crime from the murder. Mm. Um, So I think there's potentially two crimes going on. I don't think Victoria is the murderer, and I don't think 
Desdemona is the murderer. But other than that, I'm not really sure who to point the finger at at this point. That, and I feel like I keep devolving where, like, any, like, slightly sketchy scenario that keeps happening now, mentally, I'm just, like, pointing the finger. I'm like, you're the murderer. <laughs> Seems like everybody's the murderer. It like, can't possibly be everybody. Well, not. It was that one time. <laughs> it was on Murder on the Orient yeah. Express. Probably not this time. That one time where it was everyone. <laughs> I don't think it's this. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. I think I think once we get a little bit more information about the secrets, hopefully we'll be able to parse some stuff through. So I'm hoping in the next section that they go up to Felix's rooms. And I'm also hoping that they go into the library because that's where he was last working. So maybe there'll be some clues in there. And it's a place of knowledge. It's where all the clues should be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that at this point, we're, I think, probably like close to two thirds of the way through. And I have no idea. Um, So good job on your part for keeping us like confused enough as readers to definitely want to keep going. Like, I'm really excited to read the next (laughs) section because I just want... I want answers so badly at this point. Well, that's good. I mean, at this point, you kind of should be uh, a little bit in the, it kind of seems like it could be everybody camp, you know, where it's like so many good motives, so many good clues, but they kind of point in every direction and, you know, it hasn't quite solidified into anything yet. So Mm -hmm. I wish we had better like concrete theories. I'm just very perplexed at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like every (laughs) character has a secret that probably has nothing to do with the murder, but it's sort of obfuscating what I'm seeing as a reader, too, because I'm like, maybe that's a clue. Maybe that's a clue, but it's something else. So good job as the author, because it's, I'm sure, really tough to balance how much you give and how much you throw, you know, smoke and mirrors up and red herrings all into the mix for your readers. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's it. Did you have any final thoughts? No, I'm just stoked to continue and build more into this plot. Well, excellent. I feel like by the next section, and when we do this again, my theories are going to be completely different. So I'm really enjoying that aspect of this journey of just being like, it's definitely this. I mean, like, <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like that to me is great because I feel like I'm slightly methodical my rationale with things but to fool your readers is just such like a flex move so i'm excited to you know unravel thanks listeners if you're looking for more check us out at fantasticbookspod.com where we have book reviews reading list suggestions merch and you can even send us a message or find us on facebook and instagram at fantasticbookspod and if you like what you've been hearing don't forget to leave us a review Thanks. Thanks. Golden Rise Media.